0: good evening. Well, we're thankful for your presence this evening again as we were for those of you who were able to be with us this morning as we want to examine for just a few moments tonight and continue in a study that we've been doing for uh, just a little while now around the one word study uh, just to give you a, a little bit of a refresher in case uh, you've not been with us as we've kind of hit these uh, about once a month. Uh, this was a book, a, a series, a study meant to be a, a 52 week study if you would Uh, but we've kind of turned it in maybe into a 52 month study I call that job security there right you just make sure and have a 52 week a month series they can't get rid of you Uh, but uh, no we uh, we're going to take a look at some of these things because along the way there's a good chance that it may apply to something else that we're talking about In fact, I would love to take a lot of credit for the fact that our lesson this morning was on the seriousness of sin. And tonight we're going to talk about sin, but that was pure dumb luck. Uh, I put that lesson together and plan to do that this morning. We're going to continue that next Sunday as I'd like for us to talk about the plan of salvation in a little more detail for those who might be interested in it. So I thought, well, we'll talk about the one-word study tonight. And as I thought about that a few weeks ago, and kind of planned on that when I got to really studying this week, and I realized that we are going to talk about the word sin tonight. Oh, that worked out pretty fancy, but I didn't exactly intend for it to be that way. But I hope that you'll be able to take something from the lesson tonight. Obviously, I hope that's always the case. But at the same time, when we think about the seriousness of sin... You know, it's one of those things where I kind of feel like we sometimes say you're preaching to the choir, right? I mean, most of you are here because you've thought about that. Most of you are here because you've already considered the seriousness of sin. Most of you are here because you've become a Christian and you want to be here because you want to worship God, because you've had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. So, so what more could we talk about? What could we really say? Well, Tonight, I'd like for us to just try to take a moment and touch the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Uh, I do not claim to be a Hebrew or Greek scholar in any way, so when we talk about some of the words that are used in just a moment... We could spend whole, uh, you know, whole semesters, if you will, if you were in college in a semester-type setting, looking at some of these words and the way it's talked about. But I'd like for us tonight just to touch briefly on the word and then ask ourselves some questions as we think about this idea of sin. A definition, if you will, at first, it may be a little small for some of you, but it says, <coughs> excuse me, sin is any attitude of indifference or unbelief Or disobedience to the will of God revealed in conscience, law, or gospel. Whether this attitude expresses itself in thought, word, deed, or settled disposition and conduct. Now that's a quotation from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Again, there's lots of different places that we could go to examine what sin really is. But this is just one particular definition that went along with the study. Again, there's actually two books that go along with this study. And I kind of try to pull from both of them to help our thoughts for the evening. But this is just one. Any attitude of indifference, unbelief, or disobedience, which is what I think we usually think of in regards to the will of God. We kind of understand what sin is. You know, maybe you you had a child one time who wrote you a note, you know, and the child says, well, I'm sorry for my sins. And you say, well, you know, yes, you were being disobedient or yes, you know, maybe you you were not doing what you're supposed to. But, you know, do we call those sins? Well, in a sense, yes, but at the same time, when we think about it, maybe not, because when we think of our children, we don't think of them as sinners, necessarily, until they become a little bit older. And again, I'm talking about little children, uh, not necessarily those who are becoming around the age of accountability. But this is a type or a way to think about sin. Let's talk about a couple of words that are used in the Bible. The first one is from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word hatah, if you will. Now, I've seen this spelled different ways. One is H-A-T-T-A-T-H, more like hatah with an A-T-H on the end. But this is one in particular. If you've got your Bible, to help illustrate it, look at Judges chapter 20. We're going to look at two passages actually very quickly, but one is Judges chapter 20 and verse number 16. Now, one thing that we think about when we oftentimes think about the idea of sin is to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And this word hatah deals with to fail or to miss the mark. Now, notice how it's used in Judges chapter 20 and verse number 16. You probably will not find the word sin there. But in speaking here in Judges 20, verse 16, about the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin had trained, if you will, we'll just say them, they're called slingshot experts, if you will, in a sense. And in Judges chapter 20, in verse number 16, we are told that they learned how to sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not hata, not miss, not fail or miss the mark. Now, you would not want to be the one standing there with the hair raised up on your head to test and see, because if they ha-ta or miss the mark, they're going to maybe knock you upside the head there. But yes, they were trained to not fail or miss. Now go over to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 in verse number 2. Proverbs 19 in verse number 2. We're going to look at the New Testament, and a lot of times in the New Testament we think about this idea of missing the mark. But in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 2, we see a proverb here, a good idea or a good thought for us, as it says, Also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who hatas, or sins, who, and he sins who hastens with his feet. We see a warning here against making hasty decisions because you're likely to hatah or miss your way or miss your destination. Now, again, we could spend a lot of time tonight talking about these words, in particular, this study and, and looking at these books that are given. Uh, there are at least five different Old Testament words that are given to look at that talk about a missing of the mark, like this word that's on the screen, or a rebellion a transgression, and iniquity. All of these things we know. We sing about them. We talk about them in that way. But when we come over to the New Testament and the Greek, we see another word here, hamartia. If you've got your Bible, look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now again, in this particular study, there are at least seven, seven New Testament words that we could look at that say the same things. Transgression, uh, wickedness. Uh, even lust or think desire that is forbidden. All of these different things talk about sin or are translated as sin. But in James 1.15, we talked about this verse this morning. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Hamartia, missing the mark. If you've got your Bible there open, flip over a few pages to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 5. These are the verses that we typically turn to when we think about the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. John says, whoever commits hamartia, whoever commits sin, also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So we say that a lot. Sin is lawlessness. Go over to chapter 5 of 1 John and verse 4. Uh, Number 17, 1 John 5 and verse number 17, all unrighteousness is hamartia or sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So unrighteousness or lawlessness is sin. What are we talking about? We're talking about missing the mark. We're talking about missing the mark of God's demands or God's requirements. That's what happens when we sin. Go back to the Old Testament example we looked at just a moment ago there from Judges chapter 20 and verse 16 with the slingshot experts, if you will. Were they aiming to miss their mark? No, they were aiming to hit the goal, but they may have missed the mark or that hatah word there. So a lot of times in our life, as we think about sin, we're not always trying deliberately to sin, but sometimes we do miss the mark. That's what we need to consider when we think about the seriousness of sin, failing to do what God has told us to do. Now, in our Bible class this morning, we talked about the idea of sins of commission, as we sometimes say, and sins of omission. We can break it down into that category or those categories as well. When we sin, we're missing the mark. Not just failing to do something sometimes, but missing the mark. Missing what God has set for us as the goal. Now, what I'd like for us to do in our last few moments here together this morning is ask a few questions. I mentioned to you that one of the books that goes along with this study is a Uh, is a devotional type of book and sometimes it gives forth some good thoughts I'd like for us to look at a few passages and consider a few things if you've got your Bible look in Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 we were here this morning again as well because we think about where sin begins where sin begins in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 13 we get this idea as we know of sin, of the temptation, and we sometimes call it the temptation and the fall of man. Now, one thing that's interesting is I I share with you from this book, uh, you know, I have to kind of look through it, you know, and decide what would be best. Of course, how much time do we have to try to fit into the lesson? What may not apply? Well, I'll tell you, this particular devotional thought begins with the idea of one of the most exciting and beautiful things in the world is snow. Well, since we don't know what that is here in Tennessee very often, we're just going to skip over that part, uh, at least the way that our winners usually go down here sometimes. But of course, you get the idea and understand that. But what he shares from this particular first devotional, I like, is in Genesis chapter three, who's responsible for sin? Who's responsible? Well, we don't know exactly how long the earth was without sin. But, of course, here in Genesis 3, Satan tempts Eve and Eve tempts Adam. And when they yield, sin enters the world, as we talked about. So who's responsible? Well, what happens here in Genesis chapter 3, kind of back to our lesson even last week about things that are humorous, is something that happens to us. What happens when the question comes about of who's responsible? When God later asks them about their sin, who does Adam blame? Adam blames Eve. Who does Eve blame? Eve blames the serpent. Who does the, well, we finally get to the end there, right? But how many times does it work its way up and down the ladder in our lives as well? Who is really responsible? Of course, I think you know the answer. We are responsible when we sin. We may influence others from time to time and others may influence us, but each of us is responsible when we sin. Maybe that's the toughest part sometimes for us as we consider what sin really is and how it affects our lives, is we have to ask the question, who's responsible? Sometimes that's a little easier to answer than others. Sometimes it's a little harder to answer. There's probably quite a few counselors in this world who have spent a lot of time with people trying to understand who's responsible. We sometimes make the uh, anecdote and think about the idea that when someone, uh, you know, is a mass murderer maybe or something along those lines, they say, well, my parents didn't love me enough or didn't, didn't hug me enough. What we're getting back to is who's responsible because yes, maybe there was a lack of caring and love in the home and maybe that affected the way that their life turned out, but each one of us is responsible and again, we don't have to go very far. Just there in Genesis chapter 3 with the first one, we sometimes look to blame other people. Who's responsible? It's a very important question as we begin to think about sin. Number two this evening, will I be touched? If you've got your Bibles, look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Will I be touched by it? A preacher tells the story. He says, there is a man I know who goes to a poverty stricken area of Central America at least once a year to help the homeless. He says that each time he goes, he returns home with what he calls as a traveler's sickness. And he explains that no matter how hard he tries, he can't avoid contacting the germs and coming home with this traveler's sickness. An interesting thought there for us. Will I be touched by sin? That's really how sin is. No matter how hard we try, we will be touched by it. Again, the Bible class I taught it last week, we talked about kind of jokingly the idea that we as Christians would all come even like here. You know, we would, all the Christians would come here and live together in the building, you know, because that would be, that'd be maybe better for us, we would say. Well, you know that we can't do that. But even then, do you think that we could make it without sinning? Yeah, we might can make it a few hours, maybe even a day or a few weeks, maybe. But we're not going to be completely immune to sin. We are all touched by it, no matter how hard we try. Paul says in Romans chapter three and verse number ten, in the quotation there, there is there's none is righteous, no, not one. And then you go on over to Romans three and verse number twenty three that we know so well: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Of God. We're all touched by it. Maybe others more so, maybe our own lives more so at at one point in time than another, but we're all touched by it. The problem is that sometimes we don't recognize that. uh, Jesus talked about that as well in Matthew chapter 7 when he gives again a humorous to us, a humorous example of a log sticking out of our eye or a beam, and we're trying to get the speck that's in someone else's eye. The humor comes in, the idea, of course, of us knocking people upside the head with this log coming out of the front of our face, out of our eyes. We're trying to reach for this little itty bitty thing. But that's the way that we do sometimes. We don't recognize the own, our own sin and the own faults that we have in our life. The point is none of us is above sin. We will all be touched. But as we talked about this morning in our lesson, part of the point is what are we going to do about it? We cannot deny. We're going to talk about this passage in the next couple of Sundays. But we cannot deny it. 1 John chapter 1 says that if we deny, we are lying. We're a liar if we say that we do not sin. So will I be touched? The answer is absolutely but then how will I handle it? And that is our third question this evening. How will I respond? If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the 51st Psalm. Psalm 51. It's inevitable. Some of you say, "Well, this is a great lesson to start our week off with, right? Or if you're getting ready to go into the work week, this is wonderful. How encouraging. Well, I'm sorry that it's not exactly. But it is in the same sense. It's inevitable, though, that some of us will fall but how will we respond? That's the question. Not will I sin, but how will I respond? Psalm 51, if you have any kind of notation in your Bible, may say something along the lines of a prayer of repentance. It may say as well to the chief musician, a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. <coughs> we know the, very well the story of King David's sin with Bathsheba, and we know as well his attempt to cover it up. But can you imagine? I mean, you think about the paparazzi today, you think about news today and the cycle that we live in. You know, that may have been the, the news of the century there in David's time. And we think about what took place there. Even if they were to know him as we know him, how do we know David? A man after God's own heart. Can you imagine it being plastered up there? I mean, we already try to tear down our politicians and presidents and anybody, you know, with any piece of kind of derogatory information we can find. Can you imagine what the newspapers would do, what social media would do with the man after God's own heart committing this sin of the century, if you will, this terrible thing that he did? But what's important to note, and of course, it's important in our world, even today, As we see people in the news torn down by things that they may have done or said years ago and things that tend to follow them, how will a person respond? We get a great example from David in Psalm 51. We don't have time to read the entire passage, but we notice that he throws himself down at the feet of God in verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me. O God, according to your loving kindness, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verses 3 and 4, he acknowledges his transgressions. He acknowledges his sin and realizes the seriousness of it. Again, we oftentimes go the opposite way of that. And in verses 7 through 9, he seeks forgiveness from God Again, passage that's familiar, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, as we sometimes sing. And then beginning in verse number 10, which is another psalm that our young people especially sing sometimes, created me a clean heart, O God. Verses 10 through 17, he prays for a renewed heart and hope. We can believe and think that this is David's response to his sin, you go back to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 where all of this happens and Nathan confronts David. If David reacted the way that we reacted sometimes, he would you know, turn around and say, What, me? Are you sure about that? Do you have proof? Are, are you sure? Not me. I wouldn't do that. We begin to make excuses. We begin to backtrack. We begin to try to figure out how to wiggle our way out of something. But you can only imagine there as Nathan tells him that he is the one. He is the man. Nathan's heart or David's heart has that sinking feeling as we do many times when we're caught in something. And rather than try to turn it around on back around on Nathan. Rather than try to deny it. Rather than try to blame somebody else. David says yes I did and I need the forgiveness of God. How will I respond when sin enters into my life, that's something that we try and ask for us ourselves to consider each time that we're together. As we extend the Lord's invitation, as we take a moment, even on Wednesday night, to come in here for just a few moments, the whole point is so that if there's anyone who has a sin, that they need to respond to, and we call it responding to the invitation, that we will respond in the correct manner, being willing to admit that and ask for forgiveness from God. One final question here, and the lesson will be yours. Number four, how bad is it? How bad is it? If you got your Bible, look in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. How bad is it? Well, many times this question comes into play because we look around at others and we say, well... My sin is not as bad as their sin. My sin's not as bad as, you know, fill in the blank. And I'll tell you the way that my wife sometimes tries to tell our children, you can you play that game about a lot of things and a lot of people if you're not careful. We have to admit our sin, be responsible for it, accept the consequences. The good news, as we said this morning, is the eternal consequences can be handled. It has been handled by the blood of Jesus Christ if we will be obedient. How bad is it? Well, Jesus explains in a sense. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 31 through 46, as he is there on the cross, as all of those things that we know so well, that we've talked about in various lessons in Bible classes, we go through the whole list of things there that happened to him, the way that the people are looking at him and talking about him, and it gets over to verse number 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To know the purpose of Christ's crucifixion is to know how bad sin really is. But there is a specific point that we just read here when Jesus is hanging on the cross that illustrates just how ugly our sins are to God. It's when Jesus cries these words out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse number 21, Paul says that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Many translations there add the idea of for us. He was made to be sin for us and he knew no sin, which implies in a sense that God put our sins on Jesus when he went to the cross. He feels forsaken by the father and cries out here going through the suffering and the pain because of how bad our sin really is. Jesus hanging on the cross, shedding his blood for you and for me, for our sin problem. As we said this morning, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Sin requires death. But the good news and the good news that continues to bring us back is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that death upon the cross. And of course, going on into the burial and the resurrection that he goes through. He has given us the antidote, if you will, the divine antidote for our problem. I mentioned to you this morning a quotation from Brother Steve Wiggins. I got to hear him earlier in the week at the gospel meeting at Dunlap. He said something else that I would share with you along these lines, kind of an interesting way of saying it. He said, if there was a doctor who was coming to town here, coming to this building, a doctor who was maybe the foremost person on a particular cancer, the foremost doctor, he was going to come right here where I stand and give a lecture on the cure for cancer. Well, if I don't have the problem, I'm probably not going to be interested because as far as I know, I don't have cancer. So, you know, that's great, but there's no need for me to be here. But if I have the problem... I'm going to be here early. And I'm going to be here on the front row because I want to know the cure for that particular kind of cancer that I have. The interesting thing for us is we think about coming here, worshiping God, what God has done for us in sending his son, what his son did, in shedding his blood on the cross. He's given us the divine antidote. He's given us the answer. He's given us the cure for the sin problem. How many people are here early and on the front row ready to listen? Well, not many in the world. But guess what? We can't control the world. We can't do anything about everyone else other than try to share with them this good news. To tell them that we have the answer. The answer is not found in in being here. The answer is not found in any particular pew that the cure is there. But the answer is in coming to Christ, being obedient. And again, we talked about it a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about it again next Sunday morning as we talk about the plan of salvation. But we've been given the answer. We've been given the cure. How bad is it? Well, it's bad. It's bad for anybody who will continue in sin and not become gospel obedient. If you're here tonight and you stand in that situation, we'll be singing in just a moment to encourage you. We talked about the scheme of redemption this morning. Getting to Christ, shedding his blood on the cross. God willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about this plan of salvation. What's it all about? Many of you have participated in that, and we're very thankful for that. But maybe it would help us to have a little refresher course as we study and share with others. Maybe you're here this evening and you've done that. You've obeyed the simple plan of salvation. But maybe you've messed up again, as we oftentimes do. Maybe you've not been obedient. Maybe your life has not been in accordance with the will of God. Maybe you stand in need of making a confession to God, repenting of your sin, confessing it to him, either in a private nature or in a public manner as well, so that he will forgive you. He said he would, and he's faithful to his promises. And whether you're here tonight and you need to become a Christian or come back to him, or maybe you need the prayers of this good congregation, sin is a terrible problem but Jesus is a wonderful answer. If you need to make a change, would you consider doing so even now as we stand together and as we sing?